listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Sean, how's it going? David, it's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I know we usually do our, our drink of the week. I was just having dinner, some uh, red chili enchiladas from Little Anitas in Albuquerque. Give a shout out to them. It was, it's always good. It was very good. That's awesome. And, and your drink of the week was blank. I, have nothing here. I don't even have a water bottle today. Hopefully I won't oh. regret that. Yeah. Gotcha. The tradition lives on. Um, so I, I do have a drink and it's also from a local brewery, just like the last couple of weeks. And it's also a double IPA, just like the last couple of drinks I've had. I, as you can tell, I am, I am that guy. Um, but anyway, there's a brewery very close to me called New District Brewing in Arlington, Virginia, just south of DC, where I am. And it's right next to one of my favorite dog parks that I like to take, Toby and Waylon, our Labradoodle. Um, and it's called the Dog Park Days Double IPA. Oh, that's just perfect uh, yeah. synergy. That's, you know, this is another uh, story or joke I wanted to tell you, because that is one that just lines up perfectly, right? It's like those, uh, you're looking for a recipe online and it's got this great narrative of all these things. So the thing, the thing I was really proud of cooking this week, made some, uh, some country style pork ribs. And wanted some sweet potatoes to go with them. So I was looking, how do you cook sweet potatoes faster? Sean, what do you think would, would help to like bake a sweet potato in half as much time? A microwave. But if you wanted to put them in the oven, what would be the trick that makes it go uh, twice as fast? I would say maybe like cut it open. Yeah. And then broil it. It was just cut it in half. And I was like, yeah, how do you cook oh. a potato in half as much time? You cut it in half. We'll see how many memes we should put on our uh, Instagram, but that's my Stephen Brule meme that I want to, I want to make. Uh, we'll see if Sean approves. <laughs> For your health. Yeah. Um, no, we, so we actually had sweet potatoes yesterday as well. Yeah. And we did it in the microwave. We cooked the sweet potatoes in the microwave when they were done, cut it open. And then we spread out the actual potato part and we sprinkled some old bay seasoning on it. Oh yeah. And then I put cooked ground beef on it with taco that we cooked with taco seasoning. And then we put eggs on top of that. It was like the, it sounds disgusting and it actually looks disgusting. It's like the runner's dream. If like you have a long race the next morning, but I didn't, but it was delicious. That sounds great. Now let's see anything else going on in your life. Things that are like, even things you've been reading about, learning about, even if they don't directly tie into today's episode, because I'm like reading ahead for all kinds of stuff of what, what do we, what episodes do we do in the future? Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned two weeks ago, that book on like that, that Matthew McConaughey just wrote, I finished that. It was entertaining. It, like it wasn't anything to write home about, but it was, it was entertaining enough just to kind of learn about the way he thinks about things. But my wife just finished a book that was written by Stanley Tucci, who recently he's, he's a famous uh, actor. He he's been in some stuff like he was um, in the hunger games, the, the hunger game movies, but he uh, most recently did it, this mini series where he traveled Italy and he learned about the local culture and had food like with the people there. He's, he's Italian on both of his parents' side. And he came out with a book where he talks about like his travels and seems to be very interesting. So I might read that next as far as my books not related to this podcast, but I may not get to it because I also bought two books that I think are relevant to the podcast. One of them is Beowulf, which surprisingly, I've never watched the movie for, I've never read, but it, it is written. Um, it was written in old England or in written in old English. Old and they talk about yeah, they talk about Scandinavia. The story's based in Scandinavia, I should say. But the other one is the most recent translation from Jackson Crawford. It's it's like a story. It's called the Stories of Two Heroes, or it's got two stories uh, with di- with different heroes. So it's like one of the it's like one of the old sagas. I just but, we should yeah, kind of throw people over to that podcast, the the Viking History Podcast, because they had a history great of Vikings, interview. Yeah. 
history of Vikings podcast, yeah. had a great interview with Jackson Crawford. And I just listened to it on my ride back from work. I mean, he's really an inspirational guy for several reasons. I mean, the, yeah, the, the book sounds great into these kind of lesser known heroes stories, but he also was talking about how these stories probably descend back even into earlier Germanic cultures before the cultures spread up into the North, you know, Nordic countries. Right. And, yeah. and that, that's the book that I'm reading is connecting the Celtic and the Germanic and the Norse traditions. What is kind of the common religion culture that underlies all of those? So to see the stories that underlie them, right, is very uh, interesting. And then Jackson Crawford, it was, it was very inspiring to me as he talked about his history, you know, getting a PhD, going into academia. I can very much relate to it, his part of being very disenchanted with seeing what academia really looks like. The whole process, yeah. And he realized that he, you know, he started a YouTube channel as a background project, probably because the some of the teaching things weren't all that fulfilling. And then that became his main thing. And he's getting both more enjoyment. He's teaching more people, more in depth, reaching more people. And at a certain point, it actually becomes, it's a better source of income for him than staying at a university, right? Because there's not systems there for him to actually have job security. You think, right? He's got how many years of education does he got to have at least eight years of higher education, right? Probably a lot of student loans too. Yeah. And, and there's no job security for him, right? So, I mean, yeah, I don't want the show to get too political, but to me, I'm just like, that is, uh, speaks volumes about, you know, things I'm figuring out in my life, which are about like multiple income streams, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket because the world is a little unsteady right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He he's he doesn't um he's like unapologetically truthful when he has he, he every every now and then he does YouTube videos like on his background and like yeah. he does talk about his thoughts on the education system in this country, which I have my own feelings about. But if you look at him as a potential professor who never knows for sure, certain that his job is safe the next year, um, because it's like what he teaches is not something that somebody needs to survive in this country or in the world. Um, it's cool and it's good for like somebody to know. But if he tra if he transitions from that and he makes it cool and he puts it on YouTube and he like gets hired by the great courses and he does consultations for like God of War video games or I think it was it, maybe it was Assassin's Creed. He was a consultant for like uh, one of the Frozen movies or the second one, maybe. But it's probably about, it's probably like a safer job to have, and people know who he is, so he's probably more so in demand. Where he was in a field where it's like, oh, well, we need to cut funding to the, the departments that like don't necessarily matter that much, so we're gonna cut from our history department or something like that. So, but and, and I would I would challenge you on that idea that it's things we don't need, right? Because it seems like you can get through life without ever knowing any Norse mythology. But that idea of a classical education, right? And understanding Plato, right? Once you understand Plato, and I don't fully, but it's, you know the things I've read, then it unlocks. You start to see it in all these other places, right? You read a different kind of philosophy, you see it. You read something from George Washington or Tom, Thomas Jefferson, and you see the links back to Plato, right? That's kind of the origin of philosophy mm -hmm. in our Western culture, certainly. And what does that do towards you? Just both your understanding of how the world works and understanding your place in it and being successful. And, you know, it's kind of, we're talking about Odin. That's our main theme is Odin and his wisdom, right? Finding wisdom. That maybe a thing we'll get into in a few future episodes, right? What kind of wisdom is there from this Norse mythology that might lead you towards figuring out how do you navigate, you know, a job that requires you to kind of be a company man or be a sellout and you realize it's not authentic to yourself. Then what do you do? There might be answers in Odin. It's a weird idea, but maybe that's actually completely right. Well, no, and that's that's why Odin, like I and don't get me wrong, like if you read all of the Norse, if you if you read all like all of the sources on Norse mythology, Odin and like all of his kin are pretty horrible beings. But Odin has his own, like in his own way, he he desires to grow and he designs to, he desires to learn everything, which is something that we all can relate to. And 
and I know I mentioned this previous in, episode, in previous episodes, I'll probably mention is in many future episodes, probably this episode, like he has this lust for knowledge and wisdom and he obtains everything. He successfully gets everything he wants. And then he's miserable because he just learns about his future. And like, there's, he just like learns, he likes, he has this like existential crisis. And, you know, that I think a lot of people can relate to that. When you think about Norse mythology, it's something that, um, you know, after I got my master's, I stayed at the same company that I worked for. I just had more time on my hands after I, I graduated. Graduated and it's like, okay, well, I want to learn more about European history. And a big part of that is like Germanic paganism, like especially with the rise of Christianity. And it's like I started looking into this stuff as a hobby. And now it's like something that I'm passionate about because people can relate to it. So well, it is important, that question but, you know, the existential crisis and do you need it? Right. If you kill the soul of a culture and the only things that matter to learn about at school are engineering so you can make weapons of war and medicine to heal the healthcare crisis in our country, right? And everything else doesn't matter. What, what, what has been missed, right? And, and then people are having existential crisis because they could have learned these things and no one thought it was uh, important to teach them. So definitely yeah. getting off on a tangent. Also, as you were talking about something of that Odin's not nice, right? And Jackson Crawford, you said he's speaking truth, right? He's, he's speaking words of power. And that's the thing, right? I'm a bit uh, political. I'm a bit diplomatic in how I speak, right? I'm not going to be too harsh and maybe I'll get some type of confidence at some point to just uh, say exactly what I'm thinking, right? But, but yeah, is, is am I being too nice? Is there something to learn from Odin that uh, be a little uh, harsher? Right? I think that's yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it's it's very interesting to think about because a lot of it, like you could also you could tell these stories to a five year old just like as bedtime stories. And I'm not saying that's what you would do with, <laughs> with your son, I but like when I was six to eight, yeah, so actually some no, of these stories we're reading, yeah, <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, and it's like it can be like what's a, what's a story that we discussed previously just so i'm not giving anything away um the meat of poetry like of course like that was written to like teach us kennings but you know in like that story maybe it's something like oh well you never want to trust strangers <laughs> you know like you don't want to trust these two dwarves that you see and you can teach these like lessons to five-year-olds don't and there's many trusting right that's why i started reading a little bit of a, the hava mall right don't be too yeah. trusting. Maybe you try to be hospitable to somebody, but don't stop keeping your eye on them, right? Yeah, keep uh, that's that's our theme for today, right? Yeah, keep your eye on them. Yeah, and like the theme, the theme. Well, and this is a good transition to what we are going to talk about with the Well of Mimir. You know, one of the themes could be like, you know, nothing worth have, having in life comes easy or something like that. So you can teach it to a five year old, but like if you're like a you know somebody in your mid thirties like me, and let's say you're having an existential crisis, you can relate to Odin and how he's obviously like saying these things like in Havamal, which we're going to get to uh, in more detail in future episodes, but he's like saying these things and you kind of get this sense that it's, he's trying to pass his wisdom onto the next generation. And he's also, it might be in a weird way, therapeutic for him to give his life life lessons. Cause in one stanza, he, he clearly says like a smart man is never happy, you know, something like that. So I think it's, there's like a lot of lessons that anybody can take from even though they are just these old stories, but there's a reason why these stories were thought of in the first place, even if it's you know 2,500 years ago. It's, but, it's another important thing when you when you have uh, you realize when you have small kids is that they can understand a lot more than they can express, right? So you read a story like this to somebody young, and then you ask, "What did it mean? What did you take away from it?" Right? And they say one thing, and you're like, "Ah, you you missed the point," right? But but it's in their mind somewhere, right? That's where it's, it's in their, their unconscious maybe took in part of the story. And then they remember, if I trust this person too much, maybe what'll happen to me is what happened to uh, the family that Odin was <laughs> stealing their meat, uh, Suttinger, right? Yeah. Yeah. The that, like, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't make the mistake Suttinger made, right? Yeah. So that's, they might've learned that even if they can't put it into words, right? So that's something, something to that. Okay. Exactly. One thing I wanted to talk about are sort of a 
answer to the question of last week. So I went ahead and, and researched uh, for my mom Freya's where cats. does this come from yeah. that uh, Freya has two cats pulling her chariots. And so one of the, so it's mentioned three times from what I read. Um, and Sean, how, how do I say this one? The Gilfagning? Gilfagning? Uh, don't worry. When I, when I said this in the first episode, I, I butchered it. Um, I think I somewhat know it now. Gilfagning. Gilfagning. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's mentioned twice. First part of the Pearl per- Seta, yeah. Yeah. And then the one I can get right is the Skaldskapper Mall. It is yes. mentioned once in there as well. And one of the interesting things is I read in, in some places they use the word kotum, which is kind of sounds like cat, it starts with a K, right? And the other word it uses the word uh, fressa, which is closer to be translated as bear, but it might also mean something that growls or snarls. It's used in different places, right? So there's maybe, from what I read, there was some controversy through the 1800s. They were trying to decide, wait, does she really have cats or does she have bears? And was it just like a you know, an interpretation of the Romans bringing in their ideas of like Egypt and the, the god, goddess Isis uh, being represented by cats and, you know, cats and femininity that Freya should have cats rather than bears. Most agreed, prob- probably something like cats. That was my little dive into the different sources and because it's all, it's all written in Norse, right? So I don't actually know what those words are until you dive into that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. You, you mentioned the 1800s and like, I think you mentioned that people had like arguments over what Freya had and they came to the conclusion that it might be cats. And I, I remember reading like in the United States, even, you know, a lot of like the, uh, the Scandinavian immigrants, I think, I think specifically the Swedish immigrants, there was like this huge similar, like not unlike what's happening now with like the interest in like Norse mythology and Vikings, like a lot of it brought on by the MCU or the, the Marvel cinematic universe. And, um, in the 1800s, I think there was something similar and there was like this whole like pride of, uh, the Scandinavians in the United States. And they were, they pretty much were like in Minnesota and like Wisconsin, like a lot of people, um, are today, but I remember that there was first of all, this like runestone that they found called like the Kensington, Kensington runestone that they found to be fake, but like, they were trying to say, no, the Vikings made it as far as, you know, Minnesota, um, which it was clearly fake. And Jackson Crawford actually does a few videos or he does like at least one video on that, but they, they rebuilt or they built a Viking ship in the 1800s. And then they, they successfully sailed it to like to or fro United States and Europe. And they were apparently like part of this was brought on because they wanted to say, well, our ancestors got to the United States, you know, 500 years before Christopher Columbus. And they did and make it to the shores. They did it on like the Viking boats. Yeah. They did make it up to the shores of upper uh, Canada before Christopher Columbus, right? Yeah. They just never made yeah. it down to Wisconsin or anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. They, I mean, like, who knows? Like, there there could be like one like lost soul that was just like, I'm leaving, I'm going that's, south. That's a lot of land uh, travel, right? They make it anywhere they can get by <laughs> boat, but that's a lot of land travel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some people that think that they, like, the the Vikings uh, made it to like as, as south as like Maine. So, like, yeah. they made it to the United States technically, but like, there's not like information there, but there was like this resurgence of this interest in the 1800s yeah. and this like of Scandinavian like heritage, which again, like not unlike there is now. So I'll allow but, myself another tangent of just some, you know, unrelated to today's topic, but readings I did really going into depth, just down a rabbit hole on some original sources. I was trying to find more skaldic poetry that's not from the poetic Edda. And what was interesting is that there were some other original sources of poetry, kind of like the, is it the Codex Regicus? Is that the right word? It's the, the old book, right? Written at least 1200s, right? That was like, you know, the source they know, people wrote it down that far back. There were actually other books, like pretty much that old, maybe even a little bit older, but then that have been lost in libraries catching fire and different kinds of, you know, tragedies happening that these old books are lost. But some of them were transcribed into Latin in the 1600s. So it was this idea, a humanist philosophy movement that said, you know, through Christianity, we've maybe lost a little bit too much of these old cultures. 
it's important to keep these cultures alive for the people who descend from them, for even just our understanding of languages, like how German and English have descended from old Germanic languages. So I was looking up some of these books and they've never been translated into English. There's these old Latin books written in the 1600s that might have really interesting poems, but they're not translated, so I can't read them. Um, so I was telling Sean, either I got to learn Latin or... I don't know, ask, ask uh, Jackson Crawford if he can translate it for me or something. Yeah, something like that. We can, uh, maybe that's going to be one of his next translations. I, I, I think yeah. we discussed this earlier. Like, I, I can try to learn Old Norse, but I'm not going to do well at it. So, yeah, no, it's, it's very challenging. So, um, yeah, but it, it might also be that they're like pretty much exactly what's already in the Poetic Edda, right? They were just copies, but it's, it's, they're nearly been lost to us. It's kind of one of those interesting things. Uh, yeah. That kind, of, that kind of does relate to today's topic as we get into some of the poems. And so, so, Sean. Going to that, what is what is our topic for today? Yeah, so um, thanks for listening to us uh, talk about stuff. Um, but we'll go ahead and move on to the, today's topic. Um, where it's going to be on the well of Mimir, which I like to call um, Mimir's head in Odin's eye, as sort of like a uh, bridge from the episode or two episodes ago where we discussed the Aesir Vanir War. In that episode, we discussed the events of the war, and then we discussed the peace treaty right after that. Which there were two items in this. Um, in this like peace peace treaty, one of them was an exchange of hostages. The other one was they spat into a vat and created Kavasir, which led into the story we discussed last week, which was the meat of poetry. One of the exchanges was the character of Mimir, who was sent from the Aesir to the Vanir, and along with Honor. And Honor and Mimir were with the Vanir. Mimir was actually the brains behind the operations, but Honir like kind of portrayed himself as like the leader who knew all. They were found out. Mimir's head was cut off and sent back to Odin. Odin put herbs and spices or something on Mimir's head and kept him alive and went to the head when he needed counsel. That's a very abbreviated version of that portion of the peace treaty. But I also wanted to use that context to describe Mimir's prequel story in which he lived at this well which the Prosetta tells us is in, under Jotunheim. So one of the roots of, or it's in Jotunheim, one of the roots of, beneath one of the roots of Yggdrasil. And he was at this well that he drank from every single day. Um, and that's what he used as a source of his wisdom. He drank from the well and he got wisdom. So we're going to describe this story. And we're going to talk a little bit about the sources from the Prosetta and the Poetic Edda. Um, so from the Poetic Edda, it's primarily in Voluspa, but there's also some mentions of it from another poem, which I'm going to get into. Then in the Prosetta, it's discussed in a little bit more detail in Gilfaganine, which I think I successfully said um, a few minutes ago. And then we have other questions that we're going to discuss. But to get started um, on Voluspa, I know, David, you noticed that there was consecutive stanzas that go from our previous episode topics into this one. So I will pass it on to you. Yeah. So what was I actually wanting to say? Goes through Voluspa. That it's the, that it's kind of the prequel. It's when Mimir still has his head. That's an important part of this, right? But yeah, it connects the more of the Vanir to, um, to today's story. Voluspa, the story that you're going to be reading from, this is one of my favorite poems in the Poetic Edda. The story can be summed up to where Odin awakes this witch or this uh, dead Cirrus. Uh, he wakes this Cirrus from the dead and ask her for some of her cosmic knowledge. And we discussed this in, in one of the earlier episodes and she gives it to him. She tells him what he wants to hear. And this go, this is like a portion of the series of Odin and his lust for knowledge, which also, you know, is, is sort of like discussed in the meat of poetry, but also this story in the well of Mimir. But just to give you some context on Balaspa, but David, go ahead. Stanza 23. On host, his spear did Odin hurl. Then in the world did war first come. The wall that girdled the gods was broken, and the field by the warlike veins was trodden. Then sought the gods their assembly seats, the holy ones, 
and council held, whether the gods should tribute give, or to all alike should worship belong. Then sought the gods their assembly seats, the holy ones, and council held, to find who, with venom, the air had filled, or had given oaths bride to the giant's brood. In swelling rage, then rose up Thor. Seldom he sits when he hears such things. The oaths were broken, the words and bonds, the mighty pledges between them made. I know of the horn of Heimdall hidden under the high-reaching holy tree. On it there pours from all father's pledge a mighty stream. Would you know yet more? Alone I sat when the old one sought me, the terror of gods, and gazed in mine eyes. What hast thou to ask? Why comest thou hither? Odin, I know, where thine eye is hidden. I know where Odin's eye is hidden, deep in the wide-famed well of Mimir. Mead from the pledge of Odin each morn, does Mimir drink? Would you know yet more? So there's one thing with the kind of older English, this is a 1936 translation. I probably should like retype it the way I want to read it, right? Because I get tangled up just in the uh, the old language of it. Yeah. That was one of the things that Jackson Crawford was talking about on his uh, on that podcast, that his version he does, he likes it to be very direct and clear and modern language, right? So I, there's something I like about the old style that's very poetic feeling. But then it's, it's not how we normally speak. So yeah, tangles you up. Yeah, definitely. And, and when it comes to the poetic edda, I, I always read from Crawford's translation. And one of the things that I, I find funny is at the end of a lot of the stanzas in Volaspa, the seeress says to Odin, would you know yet more? Question mark. And I find this interesting because like Crawford's translation, that phrase is, have you learned enough? Have you learned enough yet? All father. Yeah. And so it's, it, it kind of, it's funny when you think about Valaspa, Odin awakes this Cirrus. She clearly is not happy that he did that. He, he, she's upset, and, but he, she still gives this information to him, maybe because she knows it's not going to make him happy. Right. Um, he, in Valaspa, he learns about, Odin learns about his death. He, lear, he may learn about, no, he doesn't learn about the death of his son, but he learns about his death. He learns about you know, Ragnarok. She previews Ragnarok, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, she, she is kind of trolling him. She's like, are you sure you want me to keep going? I know you're not going to like it. I and that's will where, tell you, but. Right. And that's where, yeah, Jackson Crawford wants to make sure you get that tone, right? So you don't have to question and think like, you know, what is she meaning, right? That uh, something he read in the old Norse indicated to him, like, that's the way you need to say it for us modern readers to get it, right? And so I, I like the poetic version because it leaves it very mysterious. And when you kind of think about how did the the old poets used to kind of read it, but the Crawford really does help you understand better. In that 1936 version I was looking at, it gave a lot of subtext saying like, you know, in one version, these stanzas would be switched or this stanza is in some old records, but it's not in other records. And so everyone kind of has to rewrite it, right? As I'm noticing my urge to retype and change words, that's what you have to do to keep it current, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I, I think it's 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 funny because that's what Crawford does. If like he knows there's a character talking about Thor or something, he'll just like put the name of Thor in the poem, yeah. so it's easier for like the modern audience to to understand it. But I think it's I think it's interesting when you like compare 
all of the translations of the Poetic Edda, of which there's a lot of them. You read um, stanzas 23 through 28 of Voluspa, which details a bit of the war, which we've discussed in previous episodes. The final one and a half stanzas, so the second half of stanzas 27 and 28, discusses Mimir as well. And this, you know, they mentioned like um, a waterfall or a well where Odin's eye hides, and we'll get to that in a second. Also, the Cirrus sort of trolls Odin at the end here when she says... Yeah, like you got to drink from this well once, but Mimir got to drink from it like for a, for a while or something like that. So I think that's very interesting. But we can transition from Voluspa stanza 28. I'm going to go ahead and read the, the excerpt from the Prosetta, specifically Gil, Gilfaganin chapter 15, that discusses the well. There's not a lot from the sources that discuss the story of the well of Mimir, but it's still a huge story because um, you'll, you'll see why. With Gilfaganin chapter 15. Under the root that goes to the frost giants is the well of Mimir. Wisdom and intelligence are hidden there. In Mimir is the name of the well's owner. He is full of wisdom because he drinks of the well from the Gallahorn. Allfather went there and asked for one drink from the well, but he did not get this until he gave one of his eyes as a pledge. And then what's funny here is that a Snorri, in writing down Gilfaganin, also quotes stanza 28 from Voluspa in the Poetic Edda. And I, again, I typically will read Crawford's translation, but I'm actually going to read the translation as it is written in the Prosetta translation that I read, which is from Penguin Classics. He did not get this until he gave one of his eyes as a pledge. As it says in Sybil's prophecy, Odin, I know all where you hid the eye in that famous well of Mimir. Each morning, Mimir drinks mead from Valfather's pledge. Do you know now or what? What we, what we have read is everything we know about the well of Mimir from the Prosetta and the Poetic Adam. So again, there's not a lot there in the sources, but it, it paints a picture of Odin sacrificing his eye, putting it into the well, and as a result, he gets to drink one drink from the well, and he gains wisdom as a result of that. So he sacrifices his eye to gain wisdom from Amir's well. So, David, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any anything? Yeah. So, that, and that's what I was looking at it too, because I remember that being a big. It's a big deal that Odin has one eye, and you know, I think in like Neil Gaiman's version, he fleshes it out more to what was that conversation between him and Mimir and some other you know versions of the um, of mythology go into that. But that's from what I saw too. That's pretty much the only place that's really mentioned Odin sacrificing his eye, right? And the, the, the so the seeress, who they call her either the the Volspa or what was the other name for her? Um, so she's considered like a witch or a seeress yeah. um, in the Poetic Edda poem Volspa. But when Snorri in the Prosetta quotes Volspa, he he calls it Sibyl's prophecy. The so Sibyl, you can, yeah. yeah. So you can. Um, you know, you can also just think that the Sirius's name is Sybil or was Sybil since she's since she's deceased. But but maybe that was a word for uh, you know a, a witch or some kind of a, a sorceress from. And it yeah, depends whether you're coming be. from Norse or German or Old English or all these different things, right? But yeah. Um, but that that idea and it's yeah that, that it's a secret that of exactly what happened that Odin lost his eye, right? He doesn't go around telling that, but it was this idea that he sacrificed his eye to gain greater wisdom, right? And so as me and Sean have even already talked uh, off, off camera about the significance of that. You know, in some other cultures, there's this idea of like your third eye that's kind of like enlightenment, right? So did he sacrifice one of his physical eyes to have a spiritual eye to be able to see? 
And then there's this idea that, so I mentioned that I got a, a blog that I'm working on that go, that's connected with all of this. So basically ideas that I uh, don't think I need to go into all the detail on the podcast. It would be a little too much. If you want to read a lot more, it's in there. And I referred to this when we talked about uh, Odin and his spear, the idea of a, a sacrificial phallus, which is a weird idea to talk about because the phallus is basically genitalia or something shaped that way, that this is an idea seen throughout all different kinds of mythology. And it's a very weird idea to talk about. And I think, where do, where do I begin on it, right? Essentially, there's old cultures where they would have the the mother goddess, like the, the great and terrible mother, sort of mother earth that gives and takes away, right? Natural disasters that can wipe out the entire city, but also nature is where you get the source of all the, uh, the food produced from farming, right? And that in some cultures, I believe it's more like uh, Eastern or South, uh, Southeast Asia and things like that, they would have eunuch priests who have no genitalia to be the priests of this goddess, right? And and why, why did they do that, right? That's, that's a weird thing to do, it sounds like, right? And then you learn about these, these other cultures who have things around this idea of sacrificing something phallic, right? So this is then a metaphor that we see in pagan religions, which we internalized into Christmas, which is you chop down a Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is a giant phallus and, uh, yeah. from, from the earth, right? You chop it down, you decorate it, and then at the end of the year, you return it back to uh, the earth, right? It's buried or put in a landfill or you burn it or something, right? And, and why do we do that, right? In, in pagan religions, the idea would be we sacrifice that to make the, the earth mother happy so that we will be able to have a rebirth at spring, right? So the mother goddess will be pleased and we'll let, let the plants grow again and let our crops come back out, right? It would be an idea that's like basically represented in like masculine animals. So like a bull or a goat that has horns, right? And you sacrifice that to your gods to make them happy. It's even basically what's the, the same concept is being represented in um, circumcision and uh, both Hebrew and then Christian traditions that do that. Why, why is there this urge that people feel a need to do that? Right. It's something very primal, very traditional, right. It's, it's, it's an odd idea, but it keeps showing up. So therefore it, it represents something. Now we uh, bring all this up and we're talking about Odin. One of the ideas from, uh, and so some of this comes from the book uh, by Eric Neumann, who was a student of Carl Jung which is the, uh, the origins and history of consciousness. How did humans evolve, develop? How do we develop consciousness and how does that connect to our culture? And so he talks about a lot of these ideas. This is where I get all these ideas from, this understanding. But he talks about the, there's the lower phallus, which is the one we're, we've been talking about. And then there's the upper phallus. The idea of, if you think of a man standing upright as the phallus, the head is the top, right? So when we have Mimir and he's decapitated, that's a phallus sacrifice. When Odin loses an eye, that's kind of the idea that the, the the gateway to his soul, the one of the most important parts about the upper phallus is the eyes, being able to see clearly, see accurately, understand things through what you see. So it's that probably going on too many tangents, but I don't think I quite explained why is the, the sacrifice so important, right? Yeah, you have to learn how to sacrifice to kind of get rewards in life, right? Especially agricultural societies, you sacrifice your time and you take grain and you put it in the ground with the hope that it comes back and you get rewarded for it, right? So it's a thing we had to learn when we became agricultural societies. And now in our modern society, you sacrifice your time, you go to work, you sit in the traffic and the commute, and you sit at a job at your desk all day to get that paycheck so that you can feed your family and feed yourself and pay your bills, right? If you didn't sacrifice yeah. that time, it's going to be hard to, to make a living. You can't go out and hunter gatherer quite as easily, 
as maybe once a time you know, people could, right? So yeah. it's a lesson we need to learn. We can't forget that you need to sacrifice. That's kind of the, the outer layer of Odin teaching us you have to sacrifice something to get something. But then these, these higher levels of it are why, why sacrifice an eye, right? That he's paying too much attention to what he sees around him and he's not seeing beyond kind of a transcendent vision, which would be seeing maybe in the, the unconscious idea. I think we talked about collective unconscious. Mm -hmm seeing an insight or this wisdom that, that comes out of the well, right? And we talked, you're talking about the one with the roots, right? The well kind of is connected by the roots to Jotunheim, to the, uh, to Muspel, to the Ganinga gap, right? All these primal forces that came from where the, everything first was birthed from, first emerged from, right? And so for this comes back to a theme I say is going to probably keep showing up. Odin is trying to find something like feminine wisdom, trying to find his feminine side, trying to find this wisdom that comes from a seeress, right? That comes from the goddesses or primal sources from before the gods, the, the mother of the gods, right? And he's got to sacrifice something to get that. He doesn't just get it for free, right? So that's, I think, ties it all together <laughs> in not too many minutes. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's funny you mentioned uh, like the modern day sacrifice because like you could you could argue that right in the, in this day and age, time is like the most um, valuable asset or the valuable resource that we have. Right. And it's, it's because we, we have a lot of time where we can just goof off, um, play video games, like work on this podcast or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But like, ultimately we have to sacrifice like 40 hours of our week. Whereas like 1500 years ago, if you are like just hoping to grow your crops and you want to pray to like the Vanir as like the fertility gods or something like that, like, when do you say, Oh shit, I need to sacrifice a goat. Like I need to do it. Like I need to, yeah. I need to show the gods that I am, I'm willing to sacrifice one of my livestock because I'm putting trust into them to give me a good harvest. And that's what I talk about in the blog. Yeah. I, I like that you, that you went there, right? Because some people would be like, let's say you're an atheist, right? And you're like, why would I sacrifice this goat? I could have ate this goat or this, you know, uh, cattle, right. But I'm sacrificing it to the gods, right. But if they don't exist, why does any of this matter? Right. But it matters to you, right. That you went through those actions, right? That you kill a goat that was perf a perfectly good goat and it's a living creature and maybe you have some feelings about slaughtering a goat, right? But you do that and when you're doing it, you're telling yourself, I am going to work hard and do everything the gods ask me to do to get to this crop to show up for the next year, right? And that is a mental exercise to go through, right? It's, it's kind of, uh, even if you don't know why you're doing it, it, it probably works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like in the case of Odin, he... Like he just like in they in in the sources they don't actually say why Odin decided to give his eye and put it into the well. Um, they they don't go into like the conversation between Mimir and him. Like for all we know, he, Odin could have just walked up and said, "Here's my eye, give me a drink." Um, yeah. We do actually we do know that Mimir said no at first, but right. like that's where if you look at Neil Gaiman's book on Norse mythology, Odin uses the there's a there's like a slight conversation where Odin is asked by Mimir to throw in the eye. And yeah. it's, it's just very interesting because it goes to the whole thing I mentioned earlier with like a five-year-old, um, you know, life lesson of like nothing worth having in life comes easy. Yeah. If Odin, you want to, you have this quest for wisdom, this lust for knowledge, you need to give up something that, you know, I deem important if you yeah. want to drink from my well. Yeah. And so like, he's willing to give it up because he will stop at nothing to get what he wants. Just like you farmer 1500 years ago should stop at nothing to get a good harvest. Just yeah. so like you, Sean and David in the United States in 2022, will stop at nothing to work at least 40 hours a week to make enough money to 
like provide for your family. So like, and like you said, for the, for the five-year-olds, right. The, the surface level of the story is quite a bit as I'm connecting it to agriculture, right. The, uh, the ant and the grasshopper, right. Are you familiar with that fable? I'm pretty sure it's Greek. But, uh, <laughs> I'm not, no, no, that the, that the, um, I say it's the grasshopper just, you know, is having a great time enjoying himself and the ants are busy collecting grain and putting it underground all day long. Right. And the grasshopper is like, why are you guys so busy working? You should be enjoying yourself, laying out in the sun, playing on a fiddle. What are you guys doing? And they're like, well, we need to work hard because we got to make it through the winter. And he's like, don't worry about that now. Just live in the moment. Just, yeah. Like that's the mindfulness of modern idea. People talk about just live for the moment, be present in the moment, but you got to, maybe it's good to be a bit present in the moment. Don't be completely focused on outside things, but you also have to work and plan for the future or else the grasshopper gets there and he's like, um, Hey guys, could I borrow some grain? Cause I'm kind of starving this winter. And I didn't, I didn't think ahead. And so that's the, the surface level of that fable. Well, and no, that's the, interesting. And it's yeah. like, it, it's also like the, something I'm getting from that is it's the ant's instinct to yeah. want to work together for right. its community. Like it's, it's what they do. And like, I consider like Odin's instinct to like want to know everything and want to yeah. like, just become more powerful. And it's right. like, so, so he had to give up his, he like almost in his mind, he had to give up his eye to get there. And it's also why, and this goes to like the, the deeper level besides just sacrifice something, right? Why did he have to sacrifice his eye? Because Odin is so focused on the outside world and power and these things to, to buy and purchase and claim and take from other people, right? But he's not looking within, right? So if he stops looking outside so much, then he will look within himself more. And then that's where he finds his true wisdom deep in the well, right? So that's to bring it all many layers. Yeah. And so if we can get by the constraints of a 40 hour work week, um, you know, that's, that's going to be enough for us to do that as well. <laughs> is that, is that kind of hitting the marker now? Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's the question, right? Is to, to stop and think about it, right? Cause that's what Odin, he's so busy. He's so busy going through the 40 hour work week every week. He doesn't stop and think about it, right? This, this yeah. would be Jackson Crawford got to that moment where he's like, I'm going through the work week. And I got to the end of the semester and they tell me, maybe we'll hire you next year. Maybe not. And yeah. like, I went through eight years of uh, higher education to be that disposable. Like you're like, we'll see if it's in our budget. We'll see if we care about it. Right. When you're charging all these kids, tens of thousand dollars every year. And he's like, I'd at least be better off than I am with you guys. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Got it's political awesome. again. Where do we go? No, it's fine. Like <laughs> it's all good. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to judge anybody. We're just going to tied it in the way that we know as uh, two guys in their mid thirties in the United States. Yeah. It goes, it's sort of, you know, what, what is our experience? And I'm speaking a little bit for Jackson Crawford, but I'm pretty sure that's probably was his experience. And uh, I've had similar yeah. experiences is why I speak to it. Now, I actually, I did want to talk to you about Mimir and his relationship to Odin. Were you ready to talk about that? Yeah. I think um, it's relevant it's, right now. Yeah. I'd say so. And, and this is why, like, and this was actually something I wanted to mention when I brought up uh, Neil Gaiman, because when Game when Gaiman goes over this story, the well of Mimir and how Odin lost his eye, he says that Mimir is Odin's uncle. And that's something that in like my research, like online, it seems to be taken at face value that Mimir is Odin's uncle, despite the fact that it's not mentioned directly in the sources. So I went ahead and t- took a look into that, just more reading from the Prosetta and the Poeticetta. And I, I wanted to find out if Mimir was Odin's uncle. So from Havamal, which we've discussed briefly in previous episodes, which is also called the Sands of the High One, um, there's one stanza, specifically stanza 140, where Odin is, again, talking about his, and I know you mentioned this earlier, David, the, the poem, Odin's talking about his life lessons that he is bestowing on the listener. In this stanza, he says, I learned nine spells from the famous son of Bolthorn the father of Besla, 
and I won a drink of that precious mead poured from Odorer. So speculation is that the famous son of Bolthorn is Mimir, which would make Mimir a maternal uncle of Odin because Odin's mother is Besla. So Odin's father is Bor. Um, Odin's mother is Besla, who we know is a giantess. And we know that Besla's father is Bolthorn because it's mentioned in the stanza that I just mentioned or that I just uh, read. So they, they think the famous son of Bolthorn is Mimir. And, and that would maybe come back to, as I said earlier, right, the one idea of the, the feminine wisdom, right? The, that it's the, the giants, they represent the sort of, you talked before about the yin and the yang and these different ideas, right? Why does um, Mimir get to drink from the well for free, right? Because he's of this uh, society of the, the giants. And then the, the gods all descend from, well, what was his name? The first one, because he was um, Athumla, the primordial cow, licks the ice and frees him. And he's the, like the god, the, the father of all. Athumla. Yeah, so the first the first Aesir was Buri, and his son was Bor, who is Odin's uncle. So yeah. Odin's grandfather is the first Aesir, Buri. Right. So there's something there's something different about them, but everybody else descended from the giants and from that first giant, the frost giant out of Ganinga Gap, right? And this goes back because because most of the giants as we talk about, they're like that. There's only one kind of father of all the Aesir. All of the mothers are Jotun, pretty much, right? Except. We don't know the yeah. whole story about the veneer, right? But yeah. yeah. So, and again, like I, I mentioned this in previous episodes, I like to think of them as different tribes because they can yeah. intermarry, they can produce right. offspring. But boars were, I'm pretty sure that boar, or excuse me, Bury produced boar with a giantess. Right. And because then, the, who else was there? It kind of like goes back to Adam and Eve, right? Who else? Who were the other yeah. women? And there were only two people there, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, the giants they they produced from like different parts of Ymir's body. Ymir being the first uh, the first giant. So like Bor, Odin's father was half giant, half Aesir, or half Jotun, half Aesir. And then Odin was the offspring of Bor and Besla, who was a giantess. So Odin is is seventy five percent Jotun, really. But he's considered like the all father of Aesir. Yeah, when you say that someone's Aesir, it basically just is the the patrilineal uh, descendants, right? That the, the father's name passes down to say who is an Aesir. Yeah. And, and I did read uh, externally, I didn't read too much into this, unfortunately, maybe I, maybe I should have, but like apparently in a lot of old sources, or like, if you look back at the ways that old, like people may have thought, you know, in previous generations, there's like sort of like special bonds between a person and their maternal uncle. Yeah. who in this case would be Mimir. And we mentioned, first of all, Mimir does eventually give Odin a drink when he sacrifices his eye, but when Mimir somehow finds himself on Asgard after the Aesir Vanir war and is given to the Vanir and they eventually cut off his head and send it back to Odin, Odin keeps the head alive and still goes back to it. Right. That's significance um, that it's his uncle's head that they sent yeah. back, right? Like that just gives you a whole nother layer that we didn't know when we tell the story the first time, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting because like maybe there's, maybe it's just like something that somebody put together like, oh, well, this is clearly Odin's uncle that he's speaking to. But for some reason, in the primary sources, they don't mention it. But like, maybe there was like some implication that Mimir was Odin's uncle because Odin was going to him for wisdom in the first place. I think it's that he had to be there. There's only so many primordial beings and they're almost all giants, except for a few that are Aesir, right? So yeah. it, it seems to make sense. And then it's also, we don't hear much about Odin and his father, right? He's got kind of like an absent father. He's not learning a lot of wisdom from him. Therefore, that's he probably learned some rules and how to conduct himself and be honest and truthful and all these things. But he's always seeking out this other wisdom that he was lacking. 
And then, so this is like his, is his uncle, but it's kind of a father figure that really teaches him wisdom, but also teaches him. I never him actually thought of that. Bohr, like, his, I, I know he meant, made a joke about how like Bohr was a crappy father in a previous episode because he just let Odin like kill Ymir in the first place in order to like use the corpse to create the universe and everything pretty much. But like, you know, I never put together, I never thought that like Bohr being an absent father is why Odin went to Mimir for this advice in the first well, place. Why, why Odin is the way he is in the whole, the whole picture, right? Like, of course. <laughs> Yeah, it's he's got daddy issues. I think that's yeah. that's it. Um, but yeah, so like I, I think that's very interesting. And one quick thing that that I wanted to bring up in looking at last episode, the main figure of the meat or like one of the primary figures in the meat of poetry was the figure of Kavasir, who was considered in quotes from Snorri the wisest of all the gods. So the central character in this week's episode is Mimir, who is considered the same thing. And he's like going toe-to-toe with Odin, who wants to be more wise. So I thought that was interesting. Also, goes, um, depending on the different versions, right? As you lose Mimir, then you gain Kvasir, right? Whether he's born of the peace treaty and spitting in the pot, or it's that <laughs> they were the exchange of hostages, and now Kvasir came to live with the Vanir, right? Yeah. The, I no, don't know no, what Kvasir was created after the spit, but yeah. Mimir was sent to the, uh, the Vanir after the war, but what was funny, it was like Kavasir like got brutally killed um, as right. we discussed in the previous episode and Mimir yeah. gets his head cut off. And that's so. an idea. I don't know if I'll dive into too much, but it's something, There's something like there. Yeah. The, the, a, this, this perfect, we talked about archetypes, right. And the perfect wisdom, right. This, this kind of wonderful, beautiful wisdom. We talked about how like, Oh, sorry. Yep. Yep. Alfheim. Right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Um, is this place that almost like doesn't exist within for the, the Norse. Right. And then you get Kavasir, who is almost too good to be real. And then, of course, the dwarves had to kill him, right? So that's just sort of yeah. killing your ideal. That's an idea from uh, Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that Abel is the, the son who knows how to sacrifice well. This comes from me stealing from Jordan Peterson. That, that Abel knows how to sacrifice well, and God appreciates his sacrifice. Whatever Cain is doing, he's doing it wrong. And then he resents that his brother knows how to do it better than he does. So he kills his brother, right? So not just did he kill his brother, but he killed the version of himself that he should be trying to be. Right. And so then where does that leave him? Right. And that's something here in the, the Norse myths. Right. I don't think it comes out of the mm-hmm. Bible or the, yeah, the Hebrew Bible. Right. I think it's just a, a common theme that a thing that you admire it, but you also resent that you're not that good. Then you become a dark elf or a dwarf. Something like yeah. That. There we go. <laughs> no, I mean, that makes sense. Cool. There's a couple, a few other notes. Um, one, we know that Mimir, I was asked, like, I asked myself in my research, is Mimir of the AC or the Yoden? As Snorri states, Mimir as well is in Yodenheim. And we know that Mimir is the brother of Besla, Odin's mother, who is a who is a Jotun. So Mimir is actually a Jotun. But he's but he's um, welcome in um, Asgard, right? Because Odin yeah. he's under Odin's protection. Odin wants his wise uncle there, and right? So he's Odin's advisor, yeah. Kind of adopted into the tribe, even if he's not biologically. Exactly. Um, and I, I made this uh, I made this note here because it, when you when you read the excerpt from Havamal with the famous son of Bolthorn. And then, like right after he mentions he 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 earned a taste of precious mead poured from Odrer. That was from the the cauldron from the Mead of Poetry. So, like anybody like that reads this without understanding the wider context of the Mead of Poetry would say, well, maybe Sutung is the famous son of Bullthorn. However, I, I I don't think that's the case because the Mead of Poetry or the the Mead of Poetry says that Sutung's father is Gilling, who was killed by the dwarves that we mentioned earlier. And the implication there would be that Odin seduced his cousin Gunloth, who is Sutung's daughter. So a lot of people think that um, you know, Bolthor, the famous son of Bullthorn is Mamir. Again, we know Bullthorn. We know that uh, 
uh, Mimir is a giant at that point. I also went into this further. And I looked at Bolthorn, Mimir's father and Bessel's father's father. Um, a lot of sources indicate that Bolthorn's father is Burgomir. I didn't see this in the sources, but it makes sense because Burgomir is the Noah figure that we've discussed in previous episode. When Ymir's blood flowed and killed all the giants, Burgomir survived like in this box that he created. So he was the only giant at one point. They and- say he's the Noah figure. And then it reminds me of all these parts from our last story where they know that he can't swim. So the dwarves take him out and drown him, right? And then the other one comes and puts him on a reef and says, you're going to drown. Right. There's very much significance there. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was, I thought that was cool. Just like another note from this, from my research this week. One thing I wanted to, uh, I, one thing I asked myself is why is Hemdel's horn to alert the gods at Ragnarok also the horn that Mimir drinks from to gain wisdom? Specifically, the horn is called Galahorn. And so this comes from a later portion of Gilfaganine, chapter 51. The, the one that I quoted earlier was chapter 15. Chapter 51 of Gilfaganine is the portion of the process that, that describes Ragnarok. So here's the, here's the quote. As these events occur, Hemdel stands up and blows the Galahorn with all his strength. He awakens all the gods who then hold an assembly. Odin now rides to Mimir's well, seeking Mimir's counsel for both himself and his followers. The ash tree Yggdrasil shakes and nothing, whether in heaven or on earth, is without fear. So that's just a cool excerpt from the story about Ragnarok, but also in this like little paragraph, they not only mention Heimdall blowing Galahorn, but they also mention Odin traveling to Mimir for wisdom, as is established earlier. But this comes from the same source, Gilfaganin, one of the first uh, portions of the Prosetta, where earlier, chapter 15, it also mentions Galahorn as being the horn that Odin drinks from his well to gain knowledge. So in one chapter from the same story, it's a drinking horn. In the other one, it's actually a horn that you blow. Yeah. And why I think this is funny, David, is because I know you mentioned you you mentioned to me earlier that you were going to talk about phallus sacrifice and just the idea of a horn being another word to say penis is, is like why this is interesting. It's funny to me. It reminds me of the uh, Futurama episode where this alien species consumes human horn as a delegacy. I just thought this was funny. I don't know if you have anything to say on that. Sorry. No, I, was I, I have something you, but... very insightful, but I like where you went with it as well. So this would be kind of <laughs> like the like the Freudian slip or some type of fix, fixation. Once David yeah. starts talking about phalluses, Sean sees phalluses everywhere, right? Like that's but maybe <laughs> accurately, right? Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> But, but no, the, so the, the, the other thing that I really, really love that you caught, right? And it's, it's a thing I think I said last time, right? The logical reasoning versus the mythological reasoning, right? That his horn is the source of the wisdom that flows out into the, the pool that Odin needs to drink from. It's also the horn that you blow to get the attention of all the other gods, right? John, we, can't stop, we can't stop laughing this episode, can it's all good. It's, it's good. I brought wonderful. up Futurama. It's, we're talking about human horns. So. But, so, but let, me, let me say it one more time, and then I'll leave it to people to, to think about this, right? Because Sean's kind of saying, like, the horn can't be both things at once. It can't be in both places at once, right? But what is the one thing that is both the source of a deeper wisdom showing that Odin is seeking out, and it's also the thing that can get the attention of all the gods to come together to work towards a greater purpose at once? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any thought about what I'm saying? I, I can uh, say what I'm saying, or I can leave it mystic. What do you think? I, you might you want to leave it mystic, unless you want to repeat it to me again, because I'm trying to yeah. kind of process. No, so like you mentioned two horns at once, right. or something like that. Right. But... <laughs> Sean is still. 
<laughs> still, still fixated. <clears throat> so what is both the, the source of a deeper wisdom that Odin really needs to know about, wants to learn more about? And it's also the thing that can bring together all of the gods to work on a focus and a task that they need to accomplish. Just thinking conceptually, right? It's not a, it's not a thing. It's a idea. Sure. What does that sound like? Um, so the, I might, again, I may be missing the mark here, but I know in previous episodes, you mentioned the id, the ego and the superego. Yeah. The id, I like to think about, and this is me learning from you, like as, as we like, go. somebody who's green as grass, um, you know, on this subject, on this subject, but like with the id, that's, I looked at that as our survival instinct. So when the giants are coming at Ragnarok, you know, the horn is used in the sense to like get back to those primal instincts of we need to protect ourselves, even though we're probably going to die, but let's do that. Let's protect ourselves. Whereas when you want to, I took, what I took from the superego was like what you aspire to be, or like you hold yourself up to like a certain archetype, whether it's like Avasir or Mimir. And so in this sense, you go in this sense, Odin actually went to Mimir because he wanted to gain wisdom. So he could be more like Mimir who drinks from the well every day. So those are, that's my thought. Again, I may have been missing the mark there, no, but I know there's I a like where you went. So the, the first answer I was going to say is something along the ideas of attention or like focused attention, right? So to me, that'd be something like the ego. Your ego is what's making the decisions and choosing. The Greek term is a hegemonicon, the ruling faculty. Essentially, it's like your executive functioning, the thing that makes you human in the front of your brain that animals don't have. But I like that Sean went to the id because actually the part of your attention that is uh, the most primal that you can't shake. And I, I had none of this prepared until Sean said it is that thing that something scares you and you react in a split second, right? The, the part of you that stops and critically analyzes and decides what to do, that takes too long. So that part of your attention that is ready to go at a moment's notice is a deeper type of attention than the, the higher level of attention that I was going for. Sure. So what does the horn represent, right? It's it's one of those things, or maybe it's both things. And that's why it's in two places, right? I, yeah, I'm just making this up as we go along, Sean, but I like it. Well, and all this could st- all this could stem from the fact that like Galahorn just means something that we don't understand because we don't know Old Norse. Like maybe it just means Galahorn means horn. Maybe there can be two, like, right? Yeah, maybe there easily can, can be two, right? But we'll, we yeah, will ask so Jackson you, Crawford when we talk to him uh, to find out. Yeah, maybe maybe someday. But like you can drink from a drinking horn that you buy at the Annapolis Ren- like Renaissance Festival, or you can blow a horn that is designed to like make noise and make music. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And like, I, it kind of ties in, in the fact that it, it was mentioned in the same like little paragraph of um, Gilfaganin, like Hemdal and Mimir was, I found that very interesting. There was two quick other things. One that I, I just thought was very an introductory to the second portion of the Poetic Edda. Every poem, which I think there's been four or five that we've spoken about regarding the Poetic Edda, has been um, from the first half of it. So the first like nine poems are in relation to the gods. Like 60% of the Poetic Edda is actually, or or a series of poems that are about the family of the Volsung. So it's more so about heroes. But in this family, the the Volsungs, they actually bring up Mimir at one point. Um, So let me just pull this up really quick. So the poem is called Sigurd Ifumal. It's a stanza 14. But in this poem, one of the Volsung heroes, uh, Sigurd, who's actually one of the main, he is the main figure when you read like the Saga of the Volsungs or the poems in the second half of the Poetic Edda, he is speaking to this Valkyrie named Brynhild. And this, it's funny because this poem is actually very similar to Havamal. Brynhild gives him some knowledge about like how he needs to live his life. But in this poem, she says to him, Odin stood on a mountain, Bramir's sword in hands and helmet on his head. 
when wise Mamir's head spoke the first word and spoke truthfully. So again, the only reason I wanted to bring this up was because at some point we are going to discuss the Volsungs because it is a, it's like 60% of the poetic Edda, which I, I love to read. Just primarily, I've been quoting stories of the first half, which involve the gods, but it also talks about how Odin is listening to Mimir in what Brynhild is telling Sigurd in this, in this poem. The last thing. Just as you're uh, telling me that my, my reaction was that um, Brynhild and Sigurd, that is exactly from a. Uh... Uh, Wagner's opera, yeah, uh, the Ring, Ring of Power, or the the Ring Cycle, yeah. So well, that when we get there, I'll have all kinds of thoughts on. Yeah, we'll definitely dive into all that, man. Yeah. Well, I also, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I also have a copy of Jackson Crawford's translation of the Saga of Volsungs, and he does in the first part of the book before he actually translates the content, he talks about how the, with the Saga of the Volsungs, it's actually there's very similar stories all across Europe. And like, I like that's where Wagner Wagner does come into play because there's like a lot of stories from all over that part of Europe where there's like main characters that are very similar to Sigurd or like there's like secondary characters very similar to Brynhild. And I, I could be wrong here, but I want to say that Brynhild is actually in real, like there's, there's a character in real life who married one of the Mer- early Merovingian kings of France who may have not existed, but is based on Brynhild. So I could be wrong there, but like, like see some similarities, like similar to Beowulf, which I'm reading now. Like I know there's like different variations of that, like depending on the country. Yeah. But- I, I read Beowulf back in high school and I'm going to have to read it again because it goes back to where I think the book, it would be like on one half old English and on the other half modern English but it was really hard to read, right? And maybe I need a better translation that, uh, <laughs> yeah. that I can make sense of. And, and then it would actually probably appeal to me even more. But it, I think it just goes like to the uh, that time period. Like every every country is going to have its like Arthurian legend. Yeah. It may not be Arthur. It may not be Arthur who's located in... Um, I think it was like Cornwall or Wales, but like part of Britain. But it might be it might be like the Volsungs or like the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok. No, and um, when we get to that point that I'll talk about Carl Jung and the importance of uh, the, the hero's journey. He talks about that being a metaphor for what you need to do in life, right? So we'll have, yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, that's perfect. Um, but that's that's pretty much all I had. I I know that Hemdall, I think I wanted to bring up in this story because there is some relation to Mimir with the horn. If Unless the horn was just a, this, it's, it's called the same thing. But I do know that if you were to look at Norse mythology, like with a straight, like a linear timeline, then I think Hemdall's story comes early into this because Hemdall is considered like the father of the social classes, which is something that we plan on discussing potentially next week. Well, and that's, so one thing I read as well, and this goes to like, there's all the different translations, different ways to translate it. I'm, I can't sort out who's more accurate, but they said that maybe his ear that's in the well and that Mimir drinks from, it's not his horn, it's his ear. He had to sacrifice one of his ears, like Odin had to sacrifice one of his eyes. Because there's a, a line in there somewhere where it sounds like he's actually taking Odin's eye and sipping out of it like it's a cup. And that he has, that how can his, the horn be two places at once? One of them is his ear. And then he got to have the horn to blow, to, to summon everybody, right? Because Heimdall's thing is that he has amazing senses. He can hear everything in the entire universe. He can see everything pretty well too. And that he had to sacrifice part of that to get the horn that he would need for Ragnarok, right? Like that's, again, like, I don't know if it's true, but I love that version, right? Like, <laughs> we may edit this part out, but I just, I just like feel like Odin goes there and has to sacrifice something important. He doesn't want to sacrifice his horn. So he sacrifices his eye and oh, yeah. maybe <laughs> Hemdall doesn't want to sacrifice his, his horn. So he just sacrifices his ear or something like that. But I think, I think that is a, I don't know what interpretation I would have of that, but we will. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to put that in the real episode. Yeah, there we'll we go. for some deleted scene. <laughs> All righty, Sean. Um, are we good? 
yeah, I think we're good. I, I look forward to seeing everybody next week. Uh, we're going to discuss Hemdall and how he is the father of the social classes. Yeah. Send us, uh, send us some messages on Twitter. Send us questions. Send us hate mail. Send us recommendations for what Sean should drink next week. And uh, We're here, everyone. <laughs> Have a good night, Sean. Cool. Bye. So it's, and sorry, I think before I continue, I have to <laughs> have to get the giggles out. I was trying not to distract you in that when you said they uh, preserved his head in 11 herbs and spices. <laughs> trying not to wasn't that, it wasn't spices, was it? It was <laughs> well, herbs, yeah. Like KFC. <laughs> I'm trying, not oh, to, God. trying not to distract you. So we'll, right, we'll, we'll see you in 40 minutes, episode. everyone. We'll put, we'll put this at the end of the episode. <laughs> Gotcha. So they can get me because I'm, I'm trying to suppress a laughter for a whole 30 seconds. So I don't distract you. <laughs> I had to get that awesome. out. Sorry, Sean. Thanks, David.